open up to the Gospel of John, Romans chapter 14. If you're visiting with us, we're in the middle of a, a sermon series, and as you can see behind me, it's entitled Ego Emi, which means I am. And last week, um, we were looking at the <coughs> text in chapter 15 of John's Gospel, whenever Jesus says, I am the true vine. And this week we're going to be looking at Jesus whenever he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And really the the main focus is what we're looking at through this sermon series is the wording in which Jesus uses and the importance of the wording that Jesus uses. We sometimes think that that's not for me when it comes to understanding theological doctrine of scripture. We sometimes think, well, what difference does it make if we know the Greek? I have it in English. But the unfortunate thing is, as we looked at last week, whenever you come to, I am the true vine, we can escape in the English translation what that word, ego, eni, actually means. And to remind you of what we talked about last week and to once again go over it, in the Greek, ego, eni is the strongest wording that you can possibly use that points directly back to Yahweh. In the Septuagint, which is a word that is the Greek Old Testament Whenever the Greek scholars were translating the Hebrew text into Greek, when they came to the word Yahweh, which is the Hebrew tetragrammaton, the Hebrew four letters for God, which is Y-H-W-H, they translated it ego imi. And we get the word Yahweh from whenever God says to Moses, I am who I am. So whenever Jesus is saying here, I am, what he's actually saying is I am, I am. Ego in Greek means I am. Emi means I am. But it's stronger than that. It points to the divinity of Christ. It points to the trueness of God as he is truly God and truly man. Some people might like to say he is fully man and fully God. Now why is that important? Last week we looked at that word Yahweh and we said how the people of the Hebrew times of the people of God, the Israelites, were actually afraid to even use the word Yahweh. So rather than using Yahweh and coming against taking the Lord's name in vain in Leviticus, they chose to use the word Adonai. Adonai means Lord. Or they would have used the word Elohim, which means God. And what happened is we get the English translation of Yahweh, as we talked about last week, because we actually use the word E from Adonai and E from Elohim to actually translate Yahweh as I am Lord, I am God. Now if we see the word Adonai in your Bible, even in the English text, you normally have it spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord. And you understand whenever you read that word Lord, it's pointing to the fullness of the Creator. It's pointing to the name of God Almighty Himself. So what John is doing here is he's pointing us through understanding of this text to the divinity of God. Through Christ. In other words, he is pointing us to the fact that not only is Jesus God's only begotten Son, but Jesus is the fullness of God, veiled in flesh, walking amongst them. Now, why is that important for us? It's highly important whenever we come to understand who God is and who Jesus is. Many people today want to argue against the Trinity, the fact that Jesus is 
fully God, that God is fully Jesus, that Jesus is fully the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is fully God. It is one deity. God is and there's three substances, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. You cannot separate the three. Jesus is truly a man, but he's also truly God himself. And really, a better understanding of that is going to lead us to a deeper and richer understanding of God's word. That when we come to Jesus, we don't compartmentalize Jesus simply in the term that is the Son of God. Because we're all sons and daughters of God. But I am not anything like, nor are you anything like, Jesus Christ. Yes, we have his righteousness given to us, imputed to us. But we are nothing like the Creator. The Word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. How we see the Trinity being expounded through Genesis 1. Whenever we have God calling out what is to be created. The Spirit of God hovering upon the deep. And Jesus as the Word of God bringing into the fore all of creation. The Trinity in action in Genesis and right throughout Scripture. So here what we're going to be looking at over the next number of weeks of every single I am, I am the bread of life, I am the way, I am the true vine, and so on, continually is this word ego emi. It's an important word to understand. I am, I am. And in fact, it actually flicks around the context. So whenever Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, yes, he's saying, I am, I am the true vine. I am God, the creator, the true vine. But actually, in the English, we lose the context where it switched around. The focus isn't on Jesus when he says, I am. The focus is, really it should be translated, the true vine is I. The way, the truth, and the life is I. There can't be any stronger pointing to the fact that he is God. And it's important to understand that. Whenever you read scripture and understand what they did to God as Jesus Christ when they crucified him. And why when we come to these taxes as today sets the, the understanding of the context of this conversation is the last night before he's crucified. He's already told Peter, you're going to deny me. He's already put turmoil and trouble into the disciples. They don't understand the fact that he keeps saying, I have to go away. I have to go and prepare. I have to leave you. And we looked at last week, joy, and how we as Christians, no matter what we face, no matter what hardship, no matter what pain, no matter what is on your doorstep, joy is an attribute that has to be within the very being of every single Christian. Even in the midst of death, there can be joy. Even in the midst of sorrow, there can be joy. And today, Jesus wants to point us to those of us who are troubled. When we read it in the very beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 1, whenever it reads, Let not your hearts be troubled. You see, there is an unholy troubling that the devil and the demonic forces of this world want to set in motion within every single born-again believer that sits before me now and throughout the entire world, including myself. He wants to get you troubled. When you can't sleep at night, when you're worried, when you're anxious, whenever you get that gut-wrenching feeling within inside you and your heart wants to explode because you're troubled. Peter would probably understand this best. 
Whenever he renounces Christ three times. He was troubled. Now there is some kind of a holy righteous troubling. Because Christ himself was troubled in the garden. But here Christ is putting a very clear point to every single Christian here today. If you are troubled, stop. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And we grow up today, for many of us, depending on what your church background is, hearing frivolous doctrine about who God is and who Christ is and, who the, and what the gospel is. The gospel is simply about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is, but it's more than that. The gospel is simply understanding that God created the world and that he gave you a way out of your sin through Christ Jesus. It is that, but it's more than that. The gospel in its fullness is the reality that you can be saved. Saved from what? Have you ever asked yourself that? Well, Gary, saved from my sin. No. You're not saved from your sin because you keep on sinning. You get righteousness of Christ imputed to you, given to you. Therefore, we fight sin, we conquer sin, but we're always going to sin. So what am I saved from? You're saved from the wrath of God. That's what we're saved from. We're saved from the full wrath and anger of God that was placed upon Christ as he hung on the cross. It wasn't the hanging on the cross. It wasn't the nails on the cross. It wasn't the thorns on his head. It wasn't the fact that they mocked him and ridiculed him and dressed him in purple robes and bowed down before God Almighty who was Christ and mocked the everlasting Almighty is the person that breathed life into those pieces of dirt that was the Romans and every other Israelite that was there shouting crucify him. We were saved from the cup of wrath that was poured upon Christ on the cross. When the whole earth was darkened. Whenever Jesus took all the wrath that we deserve. You see we have a a problem within the makeup of ourselves in a modern day Christian life. We somehow believe that we're not that bad. We somehow believe that we just need to be saved from alcohol or fornication or cursing or smoking or addictions to whatever it may be. It's not. We need saved from the wrath of a holy, holy, holy God. That if you read the Old Testament, we see attributes of him coming to the fore. Whenever David was in a hurry to take the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem... And rather than carrying it in the way that the ark was designed to, through the poles of a seer wood, they placed it upon a cart and got it dragged into Jerusalem to speed up the process. And just as the cart was heading into Jerusalem, it teetered a little bit. And there was a man there by the name of Uz. And Uz loved the Lord. And Uz loved the ark. And he saw it teeter and he saw it about to fall into the dirt and into the mire of the street. And to be defiled, defiled by the dirt of the ground. And you know what he did? He reached out his hand and he touched it and pushed it back onto the cart. Because he, in his arrogance and his ignorance, believed that his human hand was more undefiled than the ground. And God struck him dead. The wrath of God is poured out 
on all of us because we have to understand that the ground did exactly what God commanded the ground to do. When mud is mixed with water, it is completely submissive to God's commandments and it becomes mud. Do you know what human hands are? Complete rebellion to the Lord. That ark would have been better to have fallen upon the very ground that bows down and does every single thing that God tells it to do rather than coming against the hand that was on us. And that is what's coming to every single person unless they are saved. And this is Jesus the night before he's about to be betrayed. Sitting with Judas. About to come and to kiss the very face of God. That the people wanted and and craved like Moses on the mountain. Lord, can I simply see your face? No, Moses. You cannot see me and live. And here we have Christ. The fullness of God before the disciples. Explaining this very fact to them. And we can miss this. And the massive implications that it has in us whenever we're troubled. Because he says, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Who is God? We've looked at it for weeks. He has foreordained all things to come to pass. Nothing escapes his control. Nothing is outside of his will. There's not one thing that can ever happen in this world today that he is not sovereignly in control of or has not predestined it to happen. Therefore, believe he is God. That's our only hope in times of turmoil, is it not? He will use this for his glory. We looked at it over the past weeks whenever Joseph is thrown into slavery, sold into slavery. Goes through the entire epilogue of Potiphar's wife and everything else that comes to the fore. Until he stands before his brothers and says, you meant it for evil. But I believe in God and God used it for good. That's why my heart is not troubled. Because I believe in a God who is sovereignly in control of every single entire event that has ever happened. Including the testimony that has brought Agonishka to the point today where she has realized... Who God is and being saved from his wrath and giving her life to him. And can say everything that has led me to this point today has pointed me to the fact that you are true, holy, righteous God. And what they meant for evil against me, thank you God that you have used it for good. That I can testify of your goodness, testify of your fullness and testify that I have tasted and seen that you are good. In the midst of every evil defilement that man has done against me. Praise you, Jesus, for what I had to go through because maybe I would not have got on my knees and given my life to you if I had not gone through the very thing that I went through. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you has led me to the fact that I am going to live forever and ever and ever and ever for the millennia to come in Christ Jesus. We haven't got out of the first verse yet. Believe in God. Do we know who God is? Believe also in me. And here we are. Who is Christ? Ego Emi. He is the fullness of God. The invisible God manifested in the visible Son. He is God incarnate. Born through a virgin Christ. And he stands in their midst. And yet they're troubled. Do not be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe in also in me. Verse 2, in the Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Twice he says, if you're not... If you're going to be troubled, then this should help you. Believe in God, believe in me, and believe that I go to prepare a place for you. What does that mean? People take this and they say, well, this is all about Jesus' second coming. This is all about how he's going to go and prepare a room for me. Well, well, what does he mean whenever he says, I have to go and prepare a room? Because we read, flick quickly in your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew 25, 34, or I'll read it to you. Gospel of Matthew 25 verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. What has to be done to my room, Jesus, if it's been prepared before the foundation of the world? What preparation are you talking about? Is my room in disarray? Does it need painted? Does it need sorted? What is he talking about? And what he's pointing there to is, I have to prepare a place for you to go and I will come again and will take you to myself. He says, tonight I go to prepare the way. Not a room. Figuratively speaking, yes. In my father's house there are many mansions. But what I do tonight is I go to prepare a room. Because you can't get access to the room. The door's shut to you. The door's locked to you. There's only one way that I can get you into the room, Jesus says, and that is what I'm going to go through tonight. The death and burial and resurrection on the cross is going to prepare and pave the way. It's going to prepare the door that can be opened for anybody who knocks. I go now to prepare. So if you're troubled, understand that I'm going to prepare the way. He goes on and says, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. Verse 4 says, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas speaks up. We don't know where you're going. And we don't know the way. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, Ego imi, I am, I am the way. I, Jehovah, I, Adonai, I, the Creator Almighty, God Himself, who is veiled in this flesh before you now, Thomas, I am the way, the truth. In the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would know my Father also. From now on, you do, you do know him and have seen him. What's Jesus saying? I and the Father are one. If you know me, you know the Father. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Seeing me right now is the very thing that Moses desired on the mountain. You got a glimpse of it in the Mount of Transfiguration. And yet, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. We know you're leaving. We're not even going to be able to get through tonight. Our rock, our leader, 
The one that you said is the latest. He's going to renounce you. One night of you not being with us, Lord. And he's going to run. And I'm going to run. And we're all going to run. We're going to be afraid. We're going to be troubled. Where we don't have the strength in our flesh to be able to go where you're going. If you could just show us God. If we could just see the mighty himself. Then we could be sustained tonight. For we're deeply vexed. We're deeply troubled. Have you ever thought of that? If you sometimes have trouble to say, I just wish if I could be there the night that he actually physically broke bread. If I could put my head on Jesus' heart and listen to the heartbeat and see Christ himself, it would be easy. I wouldn't be troubled. I wouldn't be anxious. If I could see him on the cross and go to the tomb. And that these are saying something different. They have Jesus, but they want to see God himself. If we could just see a glimpse of the heavenlies, then we'll be insufficient. In fact, that word enough is the same word that we read of throughout the New Testament that talks about sufficient. It would be, it would be all satisfying. And Jesus responds and says, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I said to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His work. Believe me that I in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on the account of the words themselves. Truly, truly, I said to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Wherever you at, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And verse 15. If you love me. You will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper. Jesus tells them. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me. You've seen the Father. How can you ask me these things Philip? How can you ask to see the Father. Whenever me and the Father are one. You've seen the Father. Do you not see whenever I stood up in the boat. And you were afraid. If you read the context of that scripture, whenever Jesus calms the waters, the people in the boat, the disciples in the boat were afraid. And they go into the back of the boat and Jesus is sleeping, head on a pillow. And they're completely afraid. These are fishermen who knew to be on rough waters. And they think it's all over. They think it's completely at an end. They're completely troubled. And they go in and they wake up Jesus and say, save us Jesus. And Jesus walks to the boat. And with one word, they're on a duck pond. The clouds are gone. The rain is gone. The lightning is gone. The wind completely stops. And the word says, then they were deeply afraid. Because they got a glimpse into who Christ was. And they said, what kind of man are you? And what Jesus is saying here, believe that I am God. Don't be troubled. Because I'm going to go and then I'm going to send a helper. He goes on and says, to be with you forever. 
Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. How do they know who the helper is? And Jesus says because he dwells with you. I'm the helper. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Although I'm going, I'm going to be with you forever. And I'm going to dwell in you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to strengthen you. Because tonight, you won't have the helper, nor will you have me. But I'm coming back. He says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Have you ever wanted Jesus Christ to simply show up in the midst of your bedroom when you're on your face? In the midst of wherever you are in your workplace, whenever you can't cope. When you're in the midst of a funeral and you're having to bury a loved one. And you say, Lord, if I could just see your face to know your word is true. And to believe that my loved one is in heaven with you now. Because they were born again. Because they believed in your word. And they followed your commandments. If I could just see you. And Jesus says, I'm here. I've always been here. I'm the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Maybe you think that's a far stretch. We'll finish with this. Turn to the book of Romans. Chapter 8. Again, Paul describes the very thing we're talking about today. And he says in chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's right. God the Holy Spirit. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, He changed it. Because of the same. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of Christ. There's three in one. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, the ego emi, God Himself, who understands your turmoil, who understands your trouble. And what he's saying here is, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am your room. I'm going to dwell in you and you're going to dwell in me. You don't have to be troubled. Believe that I am God. Believe that I'm with you. Believe in the attributes of what the Word says about me and about my Father. I will not leave you as an orphan. I have not forsaken you I have not forgotten you I have not stopped I'm not here as an observer we don't need any more observers there's enough people looking at you and what you're doing in your life you need a helper you need someone to come into you and to change you from the inside out to give you a new nature new desires and new ways I'm coming My sons and my daughters, you will not be orphans, and I, Christ, will dwell within you forever. And I will be the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, God Himself, in you, on you, and around you. So when it comes to the reading of this word, and it comes to the understanding of who Jesus says I am, there's only one way to the Father. It's through Christ. Before Christians were called Christians, they were called people of the way. I am the way. Ego imi. Yahweh is the only way. 
There is no other way to God. Not through religion. Not through sacrifice. Not through bulls or goats or blood of lambs or anything else. Not through Buddha. Not through karma. Not through being a good person. The only way. The only way is the truth. It is I, Christ. The only way to have life is in me. Therefore, do not be troubled. Amen. We have to start to get a deeper understanding of who Christ is, who God is, and who the Holy Spirit is. And how I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care what you face. The Word of God says, and it is immutable, it does not change. He will not leave you as orphans. And whatever you're going through right now, whatever pain or turmoil you have in your life, He is working it all for His glory. He is working it all for His glory. We trust in that. We believe in that. And we press into that and say, God, I want to give up. I want to give in. I've got no joy. My heart's in turmoil. But Father, I want to believe in who you are and how you work. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning.